Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington, where we are enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about Redemption, you can go to redemptionchurchseattle.com. Or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Good to see all of you. My name's Alex, one of the pastors here, and uh, I have the privilege of preaching God's word out of this very old, very ancient, very powerful story known as Ruth. Uh, It's a book that I honestly didn't read much at all uh, most of my life. It's a book that I basically kind of thought, more or less, this is going to sound really bad and expose my ignorance, but you see that every week. Anyway, uh, the book of Ruth was more or less, in my mind, understood as a woman's study. That is, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and it was a woman's study book. That's basically it. And I, I never really, no one, I never heard anyone preach out of it, talk about it, and like, I knew Boaz was supposed to be a good guy. But I think that's all I really knew. You're like, gosh, and you're a pastor? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I know, I knew more things about obscure passages and numbers than I did about Ruth. And yet over the last few weeks, I've been reading and rereading and rereading this story, and it's absolutely, it's a perfect story. It feels like, when you read it, just give yourself time this week just to give it one go. It's just a few chapters. You'll be done in no time. But give yourself time to read it and just watch every scene, how it changes, what, who shows up, who leaves, tragedies, triumphs, the whole thing. It, it feels like a perfect story. It, it is a perfect story. It's like, yeah, bro, it's the Bible. It's perfect. Well, yeah, but it feels like it's told perfectly. So uh, today, I'm picking up in verse 6. We began last week, and um, I'm excited to walk through this. So uh, what I want to do, though, in order to kind of keep it in, keep this thing flowing, I'm going to read the first five verses and just comment real quickly through them so that we can kind of keep the context going. So here you go. Uh, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Okay, real quick. Uh, Famine in Bethlehem. That would be ironic because Bethlehem means house of bread. So there's an irony. The pantry is empty in Bethlehem. A man, he goes to leave and go to a place called Moab. Moab is about 50 miles away. In fact, I have a map real quick to show you. Just cause, That's a great picture, sorry. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know when you have your maps in the back of your Bible, they, you, they, they preach too. Um, so Jerusalem, if you can see the star right there in the center, Jerusalem, just south of Jerusalem is a little town called Bethlehem. And then over here on the other side of the Dead Sea, that's the kingdom of Moab. Moab worshiped uh, many gods, but one god in particular kind of ruled the roost of their gods. It was called a god named Chemosh. Chemosh uh, encouraged his followers uh, in practices like adultery, incest, and even child sacrifice. Moabites had nothing in common with the Hebrew people. Moabites were polytheistic. Moabites believed in extreme forms of violence and abusing children. People, the people of God believed in one God. They had a different vision of God, a different vision of human value, and a different vision of how life should be lived. Okay, So they head over to Moab because there was a famine. And this isn't the first time you see people leaving to go being displaced because of a famine in the Old Testament. You see it in Genesis 12 with Abram and Sarah. You remember that one? And then over in Genesis um, 42, 
uh, there is Jacob and his whole scenario. Anyway, they go, there's, so there's two other times where you see this famine thing break out. And some people think right here, off, right out of the gate, uh-oh, that's a sin. Elimelech is taking Naomi, these Hebrew people, they're leaving the promised land. And they're going to go try to fix their own needs in a pagan foreign context. Some think that they're actually in sin at this point. Some people go, no, it's not actually sin. They're just trying to stay alive. So anyway, we'll keep moving. The name of the man was Elimelech. <laughs> Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. Elimelech meaning uh, essentially my God is king. The names of the two sons, Malon and Chilion, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. Uh, Ephra, this was a, uh, it was basically the Hebrew way of speaking of of Bethlehem. Uh, so Canaanites would have called it another town anyway. All right, so that's where they're, they're from. They're from the covenantal people of God, right? In Judah, which, which means praise from the south, by the way. So that's why we named our son Jude, because we come from Georgia. And so praise from the south. All right, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. We don't know how long they planned on staying there, but we see at least 10 years. But they, they remained there. Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, he died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the name of one was Orpah, the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So, all right, that's the start. Starts very dark, very sad. There's famine. There's fleeing for your life. They're now refugees. They marry other people. They live in a foreign context where they don't speak the language. They don't know the people. They, didn't, they weren't raised around the cu- culture and the country. Everything is completely different. And then death comes. All the men are dead. And now it's the mom and the two daughters-in-law left. Naomi now assumes more or less the matriarchy of the family. She takes the lead and says, here's what we're going to do. So you get that from verse 6. Then she, that's Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. So where's she going to return to? Well, she's going to go back to Bethlehem. Okay, she's going to return. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. Okay, so she had been out working and she heard a rumor. Like, well, how did she hear a rumor that the journey that she had made is roughly 50 to 100 miles on foot. How do you hear a rumor that there's, that there's food now back in, 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 in Bethlehem? Well, some speculate that she probably sent word back to Elimelech's family to let them know back in Bethlehem, hey, Elimelech has died. And so when the word travels to tell the family, the family actually sends word back going, Hey, actually, God has visited his people. So if you have a study Bible, if you don't have a study Bible, come talk to me. We'll get you one. Uh, but if you have a study Bible and you hear sermons, you know pastors and people that like study their Bible seriously, they do these things called word studies, and they look into what a word really means in the original languages because it wasn't written in King James English. I know some of us are shocked to hear that, but it's actually written in an old language called Hebrew and Greek. Anyway, this word visited here is a special word. Um, word studies kind of work like, I, I grew up, like I said a moment ago, in Georgia, and my mom had this, and dad had this uh, 
big wooded backyard. My brother and I played in it, and there's a creek, and we play in it all the time. And, uh, you know, we would come across like a huge rock, and two boys playing by a creek with a rock. We're going to turn the thing over because we got to see what's underneath it. And you know what's underneath like a rock in a creek bed in Georgia. Roly-polies and centipedes and worms and like this boring rock just goes from real boring, bland, nothing's happening, into an entire afternoon of fun playing with bugs. Okay, that was us. Okay, word studies are like that. You can be reading a boring word like visited and then flip the rock over and go, oh, wow, there's a lot going on under here. That's what word studies are like in Hebrew and in Greek. This word for visited here is a fun word to say, and you all get to say it with me today. It's pakad, which is like what you would call your dad in the South, paw, and cod, like fish. So let's all say that. Pakad, ready? One, two, three, pakad. Come on, use your Hebrew guttural stuff. Do the ka, all right? You know, you clear your throat, okay? One, two, three, pakad. Yeah, all right, so visited. That was a word used, not just like, like you pay your friend a visit, but the word visited actually was a word used in the military con- context. The word visited means to assemble the troops, to intervene on behalf of, or uh, to come to the rescue. The Lord had pakad, visited his people. He showed up. God's rescuing his people. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of death, because we can't read this divorce from its context, people are dying, it's bad, and yet God has shown up. Anybody felt that experience in your Christian faith? It's like, how can I look around and God's so good right there, and yet right here, it feels like he's completely asleep at the wheel of my life. This guy, that gal, whatever, it's working out fine. They prayed for whatever, and literally the miracle fell out of heaven. I prayed for the same thing and got nothing. In fact, it got worse, okay? Ruth, I love that Ruth, and over and over again, the scriptures are like this. It shows you what real life with a real God is really like, that it's not this cheap, cliche, simple trivial karma-like religion. If you do enough good things, God's gonna be good to you. It doesn't work like that. And if you do a lot of bad things, then God's gonna be really bad to you. This whole grace thing that shows up, this mystery thing, this faith thing, scripture does that over and over again. So God has visited and given them food. He's essentially, one commentator pointed out, he's restocking the pantry, (laughs) restocking the shelves. I thought about it uh, in the grocery this week, watching people stock the shelves, and every time I was thinking, I was like, oh, yeah, like God did, <laughs> stocking the shelf. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So they're on their way back. Naomi's leading. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go. Return, each of you, to her mother's house. Which, by the way, which is interesting to say, go back to your, to your mom's house. In this context, it would have been normal to point out, go back to your father's house. That's how they talked. That's how they thought. So why say, go back to your mother's house? Well, one, 
I was reading one uh, more feministic scholar. She said, well, obviously, because men are useless. And so, you know, they die. So you're like, man, all right, dudes can't catch a break. But anyway, go to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. This is one of the major themes. The two themes that show up again and again in in Ruth is going to be the hope of God and the kindness of God. And you'll see kindness play itself out through all four chapters. May the Lord deal kindly with you. Now, this word for kindly, it's another one of those rock words that you flip over and there's a whoa. It's not like when we say kind, we more or less mean something like being cordial, kind of hospitable, acknowledge the presence of somebody, uh, be relationally intelligent, uh, nice. Niceness is a good word. for. That's kind of what we mean. When the Bible uses this word kind, oh man, it's so good. It's the Hebrew word hesed. And this is, this is such, it's a complicated word. It's a complex word. If you were to put it on the scale and weigh it, it would break the scale. Like the words like holy or glory or kingdom or Christ. Those words, they're like, whoa, those are the words in the Bible that like break the scale. This word is actually one of those that breaks this. The kindness of God, the hesed of God. What is that? That's how God talks about his wife, his children, his people. It's covenantal. It's way thicker than law. It's thicker than blood. It's God's love. God's covenantal, unbreakable love. You see, what Naomi does right here, when she uses that word, she's pushing past everything that surrounds God and gets down into the very heart, the nature, the essence, the being, the character of who God actually is. So she pushes past the priests, past the temple, past the sacrifices, past the commandments, past the ceremonies, past the holidays, past the dietary restrictions, past the sacrifices, past the blood, past Yom Kippur, past the prophets, past Moses, past everything. She pushes past everything, all the songs, all the sages, all the prophets and priests and kings. She pushes past all that and goes, may God deal kindly with you. You see what she does? She's getting, she goes around all the stuff that surrounds God and calls out God's heart. And at the very center of the holy heart of God is unbreakable love. May God deal kindly with you. Church, it'd be real good to take a note right here from Naomi and go, This is how we ought to speak to each other. Not be religious cops, neat nicks, nitpicking each other, criticizing, competing with, all that. Leave that up for some other religion. For the people of God, the children of God, you and me, when we speak to each other, it'd be real good to just remind each other, hey, may God be kind to you. 
May you remember today how crazy in love he is with you. That nothing can separate you from his love. It'd be good to have that on your lips, speaking with your spouse, speaking with your kids, speaking with your friends, speaking with your next door neighbor or our coworker, to remember that at the very center of what we believe is God is love. And it is our responsibility to constantly call attention to him rather than our own selves. May God deal kindly with you all as you've dealt with me and with the dead. All right, now verse nine. The Lord grant, this is where it gets really interesting. Naomi's about to have a faith crisis. So she's not checked out. Watch this. Anybody ever had a faith crisis? You want to just raise your hand? Like, yes, yes, I've absolutely. Okay, no takers? Guess what? I lost my freaking mind so many times over the last 10 years trying to walk with God. Okay? I mean, lose my mind. When I was studying in London, lost my mind. You know why? Because I started understanding the nature of uh, child sex trafficking in that particular city, and it overwhelmed me, and I started going, God, if you're good, if you're real, why this? This is ridiculous. Faith crisis. Lost a baby. Faith crisis. Dad drops dead at the age of 56. Faith crisis crisis. Life crumbled in April of 2015. Faith crisis, okay? If you're having a faith crisis right now, that does not make you God's enemy. It makes you real. It makes you real. For faith to be faith, it must be met with a considerable amount of doubt, or else it's not faith, it's easy believism. When I say Jesus was resurrected from the dead and you go, hmm, I got a question about that. That's, that's good. When I say God is good and you go, but my life hurts. That means you're paying attention. That means you've not bought into an easy believism, let go and let God kind of cliche religion that isn't Christianity at all, okay? So if you're in a faith crisis, you're in a good, safe place to have that as long as you're with the people of God who can weep with the weeping and point to the goodness of God even in the midst of it. So Naomi's going to go into her faith crisis here. The Lord grants, and she said, may God be kind to you. The Lord grant that you may find rest, which that word rest, that's another one. It's, it, may, you, may you have your needs met each of you in the house of her husband. So she's like, I hope you girls can get married again. Because, I mean, we're out here in Moab. We're trying to get back to Bethlehem. And let's be honest, if you're on your own out there, in this day and age, in the ancient Near East right there, you're, that's vulnerable. That's real vulnerable. You, that's bad. So I hope things work out for you. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. You'll see them weep a few times in this. And I love that the writer doesn't omit that detail, that if you're going to have a real faith-based, loving relationship with somebody, it's going to be accompanied by a lot of tears. That's just real life. And I love that the Bible doesn't just overlook that and omit that detail. No, they, the Bible, it's in here forever. They wept, and God calls attention to the fact that it's normal to weep together. 
It's not all right just to spend all your tears on yourself alone. They wept. And they said to her, so Orpah and Ruth come back with, well, we're going to speak up now. No, we'll return with you to your people. Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? And then she starts to paint a just a a scenario here that's so extreme. Uh, Have I sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? It's like, am I I pregnant? No, no. Um, Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Like, come on. We know this has run its course. we've come to the end of our road. I don't have a husband. Even if I were to have a husband and be pregnant right now and the babies were born today, are you really going to wait around? Come on. Don't make this harder on me than it already is. I've already lost so much. Give me this. You can hear Naomi's heart right here, can't you? She really loves these girls. And these girls, they love her. Would you therefore wait till they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So she says, it's exceed, no, my daughters, it's it's bitter. And she'll she'll get into that more in the in the next section about call me bitter. Don't call me, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I'm bitter. I can't, I got a new identity, and it's called bitter. This bitterness, the Hebrew here means that it's, it's, it's an exceedingly heavy load. Life has become so hard. I've lost it all. Been there? It's bitter. It's hard. Yes, God's good. He provided food back in, in Bethlehem, but this is hard. Life has become nearly unbearable. If you've not been to that place yet in your faith, just stay alive long enough and not to be the bearer of bad news. It's just the nature of what life really is. Every one of us feel like Naomi eventually. It's just, it's just bitter. It's just hard. You pray day after day and the answers don't come. You fast, you give, you serve, you think, you read this book, you go to your life group, you weep together, you take communion, you remind yourselves of the promises, you do all that stuff and nothing changes. It's still hard. There's still this black hole inside me and it's not full yet. God, come on. And she even says that God's put his hand against her. That's the word, man, That's the word that they use when God comes against the Philistines. She thinks she's God's enemy now. You ever felt that way? God's just coming down that it's not just just like, oh yeah, bad things happen. She's going, no, I'm assigning somebody's responsible for this and it's God's fault. It's your fault. I'm going to war with you over this. Which still shows that though her faith is sinking, it's still alive. She's telling God, it's God's, God's doing this to me. God's picking on me. God's being hard on me. God's decided to come against me just the same way he comes against those Philistines. Ugh. I don't belong to his family. You felt that way before? Of course you have. Of course you have. 
<sighs> it's so heavy, huh? Good thing I'm not using any notes or we'd be here forever. I wrote them all down here, though. All right. Uh, so then they lifted up their voices, and then they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. That's like saying, it's her kiss goodbye. Bye. All right, I'll go. But Ruth, Ruth clung to her. That's the same word used in Genesis 2.24 where a man should leave his husband. And all right, How's that work? I'm in Seattle. Where a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife. Don't you laugh at me. You can't laugh at your pastor in church. It's not fair. We get picked on every other day of the week. Just give us a minute. Ruth clung to her. It's literally this cleaving. It's that covenantal love. It's this, I'm with you, ride or die, till the wheels fall off. I'm not going anywhere. Come hell and high water. Ruth clings to her. We're family now. We're family now. You know what I love about this that stood out to me this week? Um... They're not married, Ruth and Naomi. They're not married. But they're using this word right here, cling. Why? Scripture's teaching us right here that you don't have to wait on the perfect one to show up to be, to be married in that sense to find fulfillment. These are two single women clinging to one another, experiencing something that Scripture refers to time and again called friendship. They're experiencing something that you don't have to wait until the perfect moment in life where you think maybe it's at the wedding altar. That's where I know I'll have someone that will cling to me. No, the Bible uses this word both in married context and in unmarried context. It's, oh, it, this is a normal. Do you have anybody like that that you cling to that's a rock for you? My mom, my mom, Bevy, and what color Bevy? Bevy. Bevy has Debbie, and they both lost their husbands in the same year. My father suddenly passed away, and Debbie's husband abandoned her after over 30 years of marriage. And they've been best friends for years and years, as long as I can remember. They have this thing where life has literally burned down. Nothing has taken the shape that they thought it would, and yet their faith, oh my gosh, If you could just sit in a room and listen to these two talk about Jesus and the faithfulness of God, and you look at their lives and you go, how? How are you two sitting there eating pie, laughing? Don't you know life sucks? And they will look at you and go, not entirely. We got Jesus and we got each other. It's awesome, it's awesome, it's awesome. Man, I gotta get to the gospel, hang on. Ruth said, see, your sister-in-law's gone back to her people. Oh, oh so, I'm sorry, so, so now Naomi's like, okay, see, look, Orpah left, she went back to her people and to her gods, which is like, uh-oh, what was that? Uh, you should return after your sister-in-law. So go back to Chemosh, pagan child sacrifice, going back to your gods, what's that? That's Naomi's faith crisis. Just going back. 
I don't know, Yahweh, he's against me. Know anybody like that in your own city right now? I do. A lot of my friends. Going back to your old gods. Because when things get hard, it's, that, that's kind of what comes natural to us to say that. Oh, man. But Ruth, here we go. Ruth says this. This is the first time now Ruth finally speaks for herself. It's awesome. And it's some of the most poetic, powerful verses in the whole Bible. Look at this. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you will go, I'll go. Where you will lodge, I will lodge. In the Hebrew, it literally says, for where you will be, I will be. <laughs> Which I just, from Georgia, that's, that's great grammar. Um, your people shall be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and I'll be buried. Whoa. So now Ruth becomes this demonstrates this unbelievable loyalty. Say, don't tell me to leave. I'm, uh-uh, I don't, I'm not going to listen to this talk. No way. Where you go, I'll go. Where you're going to be, I'm going to be. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. I'm with you. Wow. Ruth. Ruth's loyalty here. I mean, think about this. Ruth's going to go, all right, you know what? I'm not going to go back to my own home life. I'm not going back. I'm not going back to my homeland. <laughs> I'm not going back to my homeland. I'm not going back to what's normal, what's natural, where, where, where I grew up, my culture, my gods, my religion, my language, the food, the dress, everything that, I, that was normal to me. I'm not going back to any of that. I'm going to go back to your country. I'm going to eat your food. I'm going to embrace everything about your life. I'm going to be your shadow. Your God will be my God. So her loyalty here is to go, my life, I am going to willingly forego a life of convenience in order to, and, and I will sacrifice in order to love you, in order to be present in your life. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. And she goes so far as to say, where you die, there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me and more, if anything but death parts me from you. Anything but death. Like, okay, so how does, what does all this have to do with Jesus and the gospel? Here's a couple of things. Jesus left his home, not because there was a famine in heaven, but because we were starving here on the earth. When Jesus got to the earth, he lived as a refugee. You should let that sink in. Jesus lived as a refugee. He was smuggled out of his country because of a tyrannical government in place. Read it. Angel shows up, talks to the father, Joseph, and they literally have to leave Israel. Jesus grows up in, of all places, Egypt. Jesus offers rest that absolutely dwarfs the rest that Naomi suggested the girls go find. In marriage and in raising a family, the rest that Jesus offers is superior. Jesus clings to you with infinitely more strength than Ruth 
could cling to Naomi. And here's the gospel. When Ruth says, let, anything, let nothing separate us, only death will separate us. In the gospel, Jesus says, it is by my death that I will secure our relationship forever. That's good news. And because Jesus didn't stay in the grave but conquered the grave, he has now bound us to God forever and bound us together as his family where we can experience the same thing that we see put on display in this text called community, called family, called loyalty, called friendship. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for this amazing story of Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi. Thank you that you hear us in our cries when we're having our faith crisis, that you don't give up on us, that you don't push us away, and that you don't tell us just to move on. But rather, even in our brokenness, you move toward us. Thank you for your grace and your compassion. Holy Spirit, apply the work of the gospel to us now. We pray this in your name. Amen.